Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. And with us today, hey, special Andrew. guest Andrew Mason. How you doing, Andrew? Hey guys. I'm good. How are y'all? I'm good. good. How are you? How are your holidays? They were uh hectic. I mean, they were the holidays, so you know, a little bit of greatness, a little bit of chaos. You get the good, the bad. Right. We got some a, traveling. Us Rubius got a nice present in December, Rail Seven. Yes, we did. Um, and Ruby 3.1. That's right. So all kinds of goodies in our stocking, which was nice. So absolutely. Um, thanks for being here, man. We're really excited to have a have a convo with you. Um, before we get into that, as you know, we're going to do our weekly job check in. So, Creston, what'd you have happening this week? So, well, since the break, nothing's been really going on the database consulting route, essentially. So most of it, I was like, okay, can get a whole bunch of feature development done on my app. So prim primarily the time I had available was building out new features, you know, from user requests. And the other thing is what I like to do is I wait like almost a year before I upgrade anything. So once three Ruby 3.1 was released, I said, all right, now I can upgrade Ruby, Ruby 3.0. <laughs> so I started that process for, you know, some of my projects and also Rails 7. I started checking that out because um, basically I'll probably upgrade to that close to when 7.1 comes out or I might target the um, when Internet Explorer officially goes end of life, which is I think like June or something like that. So in about six months. But I started looking into it, particularly to plan out the JavaScript part. But anyway, cool. What about you? So I have been in the midst of a couple of big projects. I've had a major refactor going on, and it's been whew, it it. It's actually been about a six-week refactor. I'm finally getting to the end of it. But when I when I did the changes, it actually broke almost 2,000 tests in our test suite out of about 12,000. It was so fundamental to the to the code, but it was so necessary because it was just a it was a spaghetti ball of stuff that needed to be all extracted out and and isolated. So the work's all done. Now it's just the fun of going through and fixing hundreds of co of tests every day until I get that all packed down. Fortunately, most of the tests are like, hey, fix this let statement, and it fixes 40 tests, you know. So that's nice. So how come something like that would break so much? Is it? Because it's a very fundamental in the bowels part of, and it was a database change, a structure change. So, uh, okay. and it was part of the, part of the data structure that touched almost everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, when that happens, you just, <laughs> you do it and then hang on because you're going for a ride. Um, and then I've been working on uh, implementing some better uh, project management processes. And so I've been evaluating whether we want to use Monday.com or, um, Basecamp or, you know, any of the 850 different PM softwares that are out there. So that's, that's been my world for the past week. How about you, Andrew? Uh, I'm in a bit of a holding pattern. 
uh, because I am I was doing a bunch of stuff and I'm about to switch on to a new project. Um, so I've been doing a lot of support um, and working on something that basically some, we had a has one relationship and that has one is no longer true. Um, now I could have many, right? Oh, and boy. So that's very fun, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm having to like take this one relationship and the problem is, is that it's it's basically we, we have several relationships based off of the enum on the table that so we've meta programmed and we've created like all these has one relationships with this enum key um and created all these relationships so now only one of them is the has many and so i'm having to go through and switch that from has one to has many and then rethink about like in the code like okay we we refer to this object as this thing, but now it's no longer this thing, and we don't always know if this thing is true or not. And how do we architect it so that you know the object now represents what it actually does? And now it does not. A little abstract, but hopefully I got the the idea across. Yeah, well, and that's what a lot of a lot of refactoring is a lot of abstract thinking. And we we're actually going to do a show on refactoring techniques. Uh, at some point that's one of the things on the docket but um but yeah it's it's just kind of an abstract concept and you have to start thinking about the code and the and how it all fits together in an abstract way so you can start making concrete decisions from it right yeah and there's always that i think that point in refactoring where you see a shortcut and you're like oh man if i just cut down that alley right there all this work that I'm have to do all goes away. But then, you know, there's that evaluation period of like, you know, is the is the goal here, is the business's goal here for me to get this done or for me to do this right? Yeah, there's always that delicate balance of both. Yeah. And, and you have to be careful too, because if you cut down too many alleys, after a year of doing that, you've got just band-aids upon band-aids and, you know, you're putting it together with duct tape and bailing wire, and then you've got a huge mess to straighten out, which I've run into many, many times, and that's not fun. You know, it's it's okay yeah. to patch something because you got to get it out, but at some point you need to make that right. Yeah, but I mean, how often do we ever make it right? <laughs> yeah. There's always another an urgent feature coming down the pipeline, like exactly. right around the corner. Exactly, and sometimes what I've what I've noticed that that I've had to to do or recommend is look we just need to take a quarter and devote it to refactoring and getting rid of of um uh, technical debt because we just can't move anymore we're so covered with band-aids you know sometimes you just have to just bite the bullet and do it and then management all yeah. screams and, and has a fit and then you say well i'm okay but sorry <laughs> Yeah, I, I I was hearing the screaming in my head as you were saying that. I'm like, oh no, there's no way, no way. It's a tough fight, but you know, sometimes you just got right. to. Um, what about refactor Fridays? Yeah. Now that's a good idea. I mean, because Thoughtbot has what their open source Fridays, and I think GitHub does something. Maybe not every Friday, but they I think they have something in a similar vein where, you know, like on a Friday, every Friday, the, like at ThoughtPub, they can work on open source, or at least that's how it used to be. I don't know if it still is, or but like, you know, work on like, you know, learning or increasing their skills in some, you know, area of, area of Rails or, you know, another thing like Phoenix or Elixir or whatever. I always thought that was really, really cool. And I, I've tried to pitch that idea before at several different companies and 
all of them were like, yeah, no shot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could see a manager saying all feature development stops for a quarter, you know, that, you know, but if you can say, well, you know, every Friday, how productive are Fridays actually? Of course, you're not going to say that to the manager, but <laughs> but basically it's like you're taking probably 10, 20% of the work that you do and dedicate it towards making sure you keep your speed or your efficiency through refactoring yeah. things that need to be done. And I'm a big proponent of, and I, I really think refactor as you go. Hey, we're going to do a new feature. All right, let's look at the, the bits around this and see if there's any little refactorings we can do and keep it healthy. You know, sometimes you get code bases that are just like two years worth of spaghetti ball and you're like, I, I, you just got to dig in and straighten it out. And the only and, way to do and, that is to vote time to it. And I don't know if I stole that idea. I, I'm not proposing it as my idea. I thought I've heard someone say something similar to that. So yeah, whomever said it, give them credit, not me. <laughs> so, uh, so the way we found out about Andrew Mason was through Ruby Radar. Um, I think Creston pointed me to that, and then I I looked at it, and so and it's a basically a weekly newsletter of Ruby and Rails stuff, and I've been subscribed to it for a while, and I've I've really enjoyed it. It's it's been very useful in my job, actually. Uh, pointed me to some things that were actually very timely for some problems I was having. So hey, thanks for that. Um, what, why'd you decide to start that? Uh, well, number one, thank you. That makes me feel very good because yeah. as someone who I, I waste a lot of time because I'm very ADHD. So I'm always starting little projects and then stopping them and then trying something else and seeing what works. And it's nice to see Ruby radar kind of hit that product fit product market fit in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mostly because my co-writer, Colin Gilbert, has helped keep me on track and keep me on the rails. If I can stay on the track, then like stuff gets done, right? But it's all about, you know, <laughs> you got to feed the fire. Right. So um, your question was like, how did we get it started or why? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of prompted that? What? Um. What prompted it was there was a multitude of things um, and I'll hit one of them which is kind of the main factor. But before I go there, I was, it's mostly like I have I collect a lot of links <laughs> throughout the week. And I, I have all these weird workflow systems that I won't go into. I've done it. I've gotten into it on other podcasts and stuff about, yeah. you know, how I save links and contents and highlight things on the Internet and funnel things into a vault and like, you know, all this other stuff. So I just but I but the problem was, is that I was looking at all these these intricate, way too intricate, overkill systems that I had in place. And they made me happy and they brought me some weird sort of comfort or enjoyment on some sort of level. But I was like, I don't do anything with them. There's no point in me. I spent all this time like thinking about this organization and like, you know, how I'm doing these things and yet nothing happens. So I had always wanted to start a newsletter, um, but I never wanted to write it. Right. Because I I'm a very like in the moment writer. I have tons and tons of content that's unreleased that I like it's just, it has to be in the moment, right? That I'll do yeah. it. But I constantly have cool things that I want to share with people, right? That I find around the internet. I'm like, this is a super, like I found a tool the other day. Actually, I found it a long time ago, but I finally showed it to someone and then shared it where you can put a, a JSON like response inside of this editor and it will use dry struct and dry RB to create an interface for it and like type it for you. 
So, you know, and like convert it into like a valid Ruby. So like, there's all these cool things that I find and I want to share them. And that's what Ruby radar is. It's very, uh, we're trying to like make it as like, how can we ship this out as quickly as possible? And we use review, which has been great for our purposes because what it is is just 10 curated links every single Sunday morning, right in your inbox that Colin and I procure, find around the web, Twitter, events, um, conferences, tweet, like cool tweets that we found, you know, blog articles people have sent us, um, anything. Um, anything that people want to share with people, like we want Ruby Radar to be like a platform for you to come like with your content and there'd be no barrier for us to like posting it for you, like sharing it with other people, helping grow your audience and kind of just grow the, uh, like our goal is to grow the audience of like Rubyists like around us and kind of amplify content, right? Because there's so much really cool content that gets created in the Ruby community every single week. Every single week, it's just stuff that was created in that past week, right? And we've been going now for like weeks and weeks and weeks with this. Mm -hmm. So there's no shortage of content. And I felt like Ruby Weekly is great at um, being, you know, that longstanding source of like, you know, curated content every week. But there was something about like my ADHD brain that like Ruby Weekly, for whatever reason, it gives me anxiety, right? for not like not crazy anxiety just like a little bit of like i look at all this stuff i'm like oh i need to go through every single one and figure out what they're all about and there's so many there's such great content peter gruber's done a great job with it but i was like i just want to know the most important stuff right like mm -hmm. what's the top i want the bubble and i also wanted to see content from you know a wider variety i think of like sources like different types more mediums um, because he, he does a great job of sharing a lot of articles, but I wanted to see other, I wanted to see what people are talking about on Twitter about on Ruby this week and, you know, what's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So that was why we started, um, Ruby radar primarily. It was just a, a way to amplify the voices of creators in the Ruby community. Um, it was also a way for me to satisfy this need to like create side projects every day. Um, this one finally stuck because I had someone to do it with. Uh, but the other part was that, um, at the time, like I, Colin is a good friend of mine and I mentor him every week. We meet every week and we talk. And um, at the time he was like starting to think about his next move. And I was like, dude, what if we, like, I think I was like, in my opinion, the greatest way to like prep for like, if you're thinking, okay, it might be time to start interviewing. We need to get your name out there. Right. So as many people as possible. So let's start, like, I've already had this idea for a long time. If you want to do it with me, I feel like this would be a great way to like instantly kick up some SEO on your name, get your name out there to people who see it to Rubius, like, and like show them that like, you know, you're like this great developer and like, here's the way that they can get introduced to like just your name so that when you are looking for a job um, and like, oh, yeah, he's the Ruby Radar guy, right? Yeah. So that was the other component of it is I saw it as a way to kind of like, amplify him so that when he was going to be looking for a job that it would be a little bit easier and he started this week with chris oliver at go rails so awesome it was kind of fun to see that play out that's great yeah mentoring somebody in the in, in development is fun i've done that a few times and it's a, it's a really enjoyable part of of my job my career um yeah absolutely so that's really cool and and i do i mean I do really appreciate Ruby Radar because when I found it and looked at it, I was like, this is this is great because what I need at my job, I'm so busy, I need once a week to just headline scan. I don't have time to go research all this stuff. 
And so it's it's right. been really good. So yeah, I appreciate keep, that. keep that up. That's it's yeah, help it's helping people. That's so, good to hear. Very cool. Um so Remote Ruby. Uh that's yes. that's your podcast. How long that have you been doing that? My baby. Uh I started doing Remote Ruby in twenty nineteen. It was either the end of 2019 or the very beginning of 2020. Um, before then, I was I was originally a panelist on the Ruby Rogues podcast. Um, I did that for several months and then left because of some um, some concerns I had. And then I moved to I started my own podcast with my friend Nate Hopkins and my buddy Ron Cook. Um, we started the Ruby Blend uh, that went for several months um, and then all of our, like at the time I was working at a company with Nate, um, who is an incredibly skilled developer. He created stimulus reflex. If anyone's not familiar with his work. Um, so at the time we were working at a startup together and, um, we were producing this podcast. We were producing other, we ended up also, uh, we started our podcast network at that company and for several different tech podcasts, like, uh, was it views with view? Is that the view podcast? I think maybe not called that anymore. I think they might've changed the name, but you know, for several different tech podcasts. And uh, I had been a guest on Jason and Chris's podcast before. And I really liked the format of their show because it was much more friendly. And I was on much more panel-y shows, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, everyone goes in a circle and we talk about our feelings about what the guests just said. And then, you know, we go back around and that every time. And um, I liked Chris and Jason didn't always have guests. They, it was a lot more like a personal, like, almost like sitting around a campfire style. I've heard someone describe it before. Mm -hmm. um, so around the time that I left Ruby Rogues, Chris and Jason reached out to me and they were like, hey man, like, you know, we heard about, you know, blah, blah, blah. And if you ever want to just join us on Remote Ruby, you're more than welcome. Which like, I was very grateful because like, for them, like at that point, I've been writing Ruby for a little over a year and the go rails guy was like saying this to me. So like, I'm like freaking out internally, but um, <laughs> I didn't end up joining them straight away. But uh, after we, I started while we were doing the Ruby blend and then when the Ruby blend kind of fizzled out because uh, the startup we were working at no longer became a startup anymore. <laughs> um, and, you know, COVID hit and all this other stuff. So we just kind of had to, we had to all go our separate ways um and stop the ruby blend and that's when i kind of devoted full attention to remote ruby cool so you guys uh recently landed an interview with dhh how was that i mean i watched yeah, it but how how did it feel to land that uh we've i've entered dhh like four times i think by now oh wow over the years yeah i first interviewed him in 2019 yeah i think 2019 um back on ruby rogues and then we've interviewed him a few times on remote ruby um talking with dhh is always a trip right because you know sometimes he comes in with a professional mic sometimes he comes in with airpod headphones or an airpod mic and you don't really know like what the difference is for us like it's like he brings in more listens than any other podcast like list or any other like host or guest that we get so there that's oh, sure. like you know you got to consider that component of it um it felt good. Like he, he is a great guest because he just will go like, he's like a lawnmower engine, right? You just rev him up and then he'll just go. <laughs> and 
so that's been that he's great because like you don't really have you can kind of almost just like sit back as a host like in the seat and just let him take it right and let him go where he wants to go and talk about what he wants to talk about um and it's always fun is there's always like there's there's an excitement there right like you know like i'm still like this is only my third year writing ruby like i'm still you know in terms of time like you know a newer developer and you know there's those like oh it's dhh like oh you know there's like there's like this giddiness this excitement yeah. to it um but there's also like you know he's just he's just another guy so uh i think at this point i've i've talked to him several times and i've come down off the the high horse of like oh my god he's this invincible program to like okay he's got some interesting ideas and like he really boosts our rating so for that we really enjoy it um yeah. and it's always great to hear like the why behind certain things right so we do get that option and like I learned something that I've wondered for so long and it was so it was not related to real seven at all but I was like why when do you use action versus active for these library names that's all I wanted to know <laughs> I've been thinking about it for so long I just wanted to know and he and in that moment I was able to learn that right and he was able to explain why and I was like so then that there's that like really fun aspect of it like you can ask the creator of the library that like puts food on your table like any question you want about it right, right? or ask for any feature <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i like to i'd love to talk to him i haven't had a chance yet but he's very opinionated and i actually like that because i'm i'm like that myself i i've spent a long time doing this stuff I know how I like things done and I have reasons I like them done that way. And that's by golly, the right way. And then everybody else is wrong. So, you know, uh, it's, and he's, but he's not, he's not a tool about it. He's, you know, he's got reasons and he has opinions and he's not afraid to express them. I just, I find that refreshing. I like it. Um, yeah. It's, I'd be interested to see, cause like for me, I strong opinions loosely held, right? Like, I, I love to like change an opinion because that means I've gathered new information to change my view on something. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I hate, I don't like arguing with people, but because I come off, <laughs> I come off hot. Um, and, <laughs> but it would be interesting to see like two strong personalities, like, like his personality in with someone else that's like that, because I have a friend who's very argumentative and like the idea of them being in the same room together is like, it's like chaos inducing. <laughs> So it would be interesting because he 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 has very strong opinions. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, you know, and, and there are some of DHH's opinions that I disagree with. Although I would say that he has disagreed with some of his own opinions over the years, like right. uh, Webpacker being one of them. I yeah, think. <laughs> he, yeah, he he, he talked about that a little bit about like he's like I couldn't even figure out how to use it, and I wrote it. Right. right. <laughs> like, like, oh, okay. So it wasn't just me. That's good to know. Right. Yeah. Well, he definitely dragged his feet. Well, the, the the Rails community in general dragged its feet embracing Webpack in general. Yes. And then they finally did it. And of course now they're reversing it. But <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Well, I guess like the important thing is like you don't have to stop using Webpacker. If Webpacker works for you, then don't stop using it, right? And not right. everyone's going to be able to switch over to this new idea of bundling their CSS and JavaScript assets like on the fly with ES build. Like that's not going to work for a lot of people. Some people are gonna have to use parcel, some people have to use Snowpack. Um, but it's not a one-stop solution. And I think that's gonna be very frustrating for people. And the other frustrating part is that I don't know if you've upgraded. Like there is is the beta of Webpacker still in beta? I don't know, but Webpacker's 
six, I think six, the latest like unreleased beta version, which has been in beta for like months. Um, upgrading to that is not easy. It's hard. It's very much breaking changes. So like, I feel like there's, there's going to be a frustrating time ahead for a lot of Rails developers where they're like, okay, either I need to finally buckle in, you know, put my big boy pants on and figure out how bundling and CSS work and JavaScript works and switch all of my stuff over to this new version um, and have more control over it, ES build and whatever. Or I need to like, just get with it and just like keep using Webpacker and that's just going to have to be fine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't even switch to Webpacker and I'm kind of, I wasn't a big fan of the idea of Webpack. It, it just, it right. struck me wrong. Um, I'm not sure if I can explain why, but it just, it was one of those mm -hmm. things that just, you know, kind of gave me the shivers and I was like, no. Um, well, was I'm, it the config I... file? Cause I feel like that's where you can start with the shivers. <laughs> that was part of it. Yeah. I spent maybe an hour looking at it and on my own projects and I'm like, uh, yeah, no, why do I need this? <laughs> the asset pipeline still works. So I kept right. using that and my jQuery <laughs> stuff. And I'm still using that to this day. And on certain things, I'm actually using a CDN to pull in JavaScript files right on, on views. Now that may be a no-no, but like for an HTML editor that's only used on a few form pages, I mean, that's what I'm doing as opposed to putting in any kind of a bundle or whatnot. You know, so I kind of said, no, thank you on my own projects and avoided it like the plague, the whole Webpack situation. Yeah. But I am very interested in what he's proposing with the image, not, uh, was it? Not image maps, what the heck is it? Uh, source maps. Import maps, import maps. Import yeah, maps, yeah, 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 import yeah. maps. Yeah, the import maps. maps. Yes. So I started looking into that and thinking about how I might be able to move to that. But... So this will date me, but I, when I came into Rails, Webpacker was the way, or it had just become like I came in like the five era. Um, so, like for me, when I moved to an app that has the asset pipeline, I'm like, what is this? How does this work? <laughs> Why is it doing this thing? You know, what are these files? For? Like, I learned, I did several tutorials when I was first learning Rails that had the asset pipeline, but I haven't used it in four three three years whatever and now all of a sudden it's making a comeback and i'm over here like but wait <laughs> i spent all this time this deep deep long hours learning and understanding webpacker and what it's doing and how it's built and you know how to manipulate it and like what webpack is and like how all these processes work and like you know the entry points and and then now they're switching back to the asset pipeline. I'm like, dang it. Like I just spent all this time. But yeah, yeah I, I agree that like we are at that place with these with ES build and these new era of JavaScript tools that like um, it's time. Like, cause I, I thought it was going to be, I thought the big thing was going to be Snowpack, which is actually built on top of ES build. So I was so close to like, he DJs dropped down straight into ES build instead of going to something like Vite or Snowpack. Basically, instead of switching out Webpack or something else, he was like, let's go drop down to like the core, you know, engine and take that. And then it becomes a choose your own adventure for a lot of other people. But actually, I think that's one path using ES build, but the other path is not using it at all and using the import maps. 
and just using direct CDN. So you're not even yeah. using a bundler. Yeah, with Skypack. Yeah, I think that's really cool as well. And here, but I'm still trying is, to wrap my head around it, but yeah. There's, I feel like that's good. That, I mean, we've talked to Fred Scott before. Was it shot? I think I said that right. Um, he's the creator of Snowpack and Skypack. And Skypack is the CDN that DHH always uses as an example oh, yeah, for yeah, how yep, yep. to pull in your stuff. Um, and I've been, so I've been using that for a long time because Snowpack is its companion bundler project. And what's really cool about that is like you don't have to download the node modules on your computer. Snowpack will automatically switch in the Skypack like CDNs for you. It's pretty cool. And I won't, I won't get into that, but there are like there can be issues with that right at like certain scale or like at some point you do want to bundle it because if you're just sending like all this uncompressed javascript over the wire like i don't know there there's there's points where i've run into issues with it especially in that point if you're just relying on a cdn for everything like today um the faker.js repo was uh, deleted, then recreated, and then a, a new version was pushed, 6.6.6, and it was an empty repo. Yeah, that's so, why the like, lucky stiff all over when, again. Right, so it's like, when stuff like that happens and you're using a CDN, that's gone now, right? That, there's no there's no backward solution for them. For the people who have it downloaded in their project, there is a way for them. Right. Just trade-offs. And That's, that's all our jobs are, right? Just trade-off. Right. trade-off decider. And that's a scary thing about development projects, especially big ones. When you get big, you know, monolithic applications and you're dependent on a bunch of third party things and somebody goes and deletes the thing, you're like, oh, God, now what? My business is going to go under. So that's a tightrope that's that's sometimes hard to walk. But you don't well, want to reinvent the wheel every time you sit down at a machine either. So. Well, that, that's the thing is like you can choose to download the the assets from the CDN and right. have them locally, but and then you can then place them on your own CDN account, so you'll always have a version available unless your CDN goes down. But then your app's probably going to be suffering a lot of problems anyway. But then you got to yeah, see that's like the veteran approach, right? <laughs> Most people don't go that deep with it. They're like, oh. CDN, we're good. <laughs> next, <laughs> next feature. Well, it depends. I mean, if you're a big company, then you're probably going to be doing that. The same type of company that would actually download or keep local copies of gems, like Ruby libraries, that would be the same company that that would do, you know, keep local copies of stuff as well. But then, and the, I'm sure plenty of people just rely upon downloading from Ruby gems. Well, and the the kind of the. The catch twenty two of that is the people that need to download them in case something goes bad up there are the ones that can't really afford to take over the maintenance of them if something goes bad up there. You know, a, a big multinational company can just throw throw people at it. Okay, let's hire a guy to to maintain this. But you know, then you kind of get stuck in that catch twenty two of I, I got to make sure I can keep it, but if I've got it, <laughs> I may not be able to do anything with it. So gets a little weird um so the the fun things we got in our stocking for christmas what are you most excited about between the rails and the ruby what things are you looking forward to using uh so for ruby the new debugger gem um i think it's great i just used it i just hooked it into vs code and it worked great um I also 
I I'm really interested in Yjit. It's pronounced Yjit. For anyone wondering, my friend and buddy Jason Charns likes to pronounce it Yjit or however it is, but that's not that's not true. The Shopify team at RubyConf told us that's absolutely not how it's pronounced. Um, but I'm so I'm very interested in Yjit and you know what that's going to do. Also in Ruby one. 3.1 CVARs were sped up by a lot of work from Eileen and Tenderlove. So every single Rails app will get a boost if they can upgrade to Ruby 3.1 because Rails relies heavily on CVARs in several areas. So that's really cool. Um, in terms of Rails 7, um, you know, I'm excited that there's uh, a new way, um, a new, an alternative path for the CSS stuff. That, at the end of the day, though, I'm so just burnt out on the idea of like bundling freaking assets on in JavaScript and CSS that it's like it's just nauseating to think about. The other, I'm like I am excited about Turbo to a relative degree. Like it's already been in there, so we've already seen it. But having it kind of be the way is cool. Um, just to have like you know just to have Rails kind of come with that is pretty cool because I think it, it comes with it, right? But not installed. I think you have to run an installer. I think so. Um, that may be totally false. We'll see. Uh, wait, 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 which one were you talking about? The... Turbo's in your gem file by default, isn't it? Hotwired Turbo? Hotwired Turbo? I think so. I think, I think so. I think so. Because I think it just needs to run an installer to like get it running. Um, but I use seamless reflex for a lot of things that Turbo does. You can pair them together or use them interchangeably. So... I'm kind of sticking with that um, library for now, but what else is in Rails 7? The invert where is interesting. Um, I was actually reading an article about why it's actually a bad solution, but that's another topic that I'm not educated enough to speak on. Um, there's some just a few niceties around stuff like that that's, I think, pretty cool. But overall, I think I'm more excited about, you know, the benefits of Ruby 3.1. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like there are several of them if you can upgrade. Yeah, the, the speed boosts are what I'm really hoping are going to just hit because we've got, you know, when you work on the really big projects, you end up dealing a lot with speed issues. And if you can get your underlying stuff to just run faster across the board, that relieves a lot of pressure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, but it, so, upgrading a, a version of Rails in, in a huge distributed process is not a cakewalk. So, you know, well, uh, the Ruby's sometimes can be easier. A Ruby upgrade, as opposed it, to it is upgrade. certainly easier than a Rails upgrade, but yeah. still not a yeah. and, not a cakewalk. And Rails seven does is including Turbo Rails and Stimulus Rails gems by default. Gotcha. All right, yeah, I'm a big fan of Stimulus. So we got a question here um, from. And I'm I'm I apologize up front. I'm going to destroy your name, uh, Manif Menwar. Glad you have Andrew here. So are we. What's his experience getting into ROR? Um, I was working at a company as a design intern because I had just I had been writing Java. I was in a computer I was in a computer school for computer science at the time, and I was writing a lot of Java. And I hate Java. I have very dark feelings about Java, writing Java, those times of my life, you know, spending all night writing Tetris games in Java. You know, so lots of like feelings around that time in my life that are like, don't want to go there, right, without help. 
Um, so I, I was miserable writing, like writing all this job. And I'm like, maybe I don't want to be a programmer, right? And I had known that I wanted to work with computers from a very young age, right? Like I had always liked working with computers. I always wanted to be a programmer. Um, and so, and like, I, like in high school, I knew I wanted to come do computer science. So like, but it was at that point, I was like, man, I'm kind of miserable. Like, I don't like doing this. Maybe, maybe VR development is more like something I could do because at that point they had never at this point, not introduced web development to me. I don't know how much money in the hole I'm at in this computer science degree, but like web development was an uncovered topic at this point. Um, so I discovered web development on my own and I was like, holy crap. I could make money like because I figured out like I had I knew a little bit of HTML already, but like I started getting into it. And like, you know, at that time it was like the gulp kind of build systems were very popular, bootstrap very popular. And I was like, I could make money doing this. Like, because people have crappy websites and I could figure out how to do this and make money, and that will be I'll do it as a side business. So I started learning more HTML and then I was like, my I'm I can write the websites now and they look like crap. So I got an internship at a company as a, a designer, as a graphic designer. I didn't know anything about graphic design, but I wanted to learn how to make better designs so that I could be a better web designer. And it was at, while I was there, um, they had a they had an internal tech team. They build like backend um, tooling for their for the company, and someone on the tech team needed something built, and all the developers were too busy. And somehow, somewhere, some way, they heard through the grapevine that me sitting with all the other designers knew HTML. So they came running in one day and they're like, you know HTML? And I said, yeah. And he said, come with me. I got a job for you. <laughs> and, and so at that point, I then worked with that individual very closely on several other projects. I think he was very key to me getting hired as an intern. So the following semester, I was brought on as an intern for their programming team. And they write Rails apps. So that's where I first learned and got into Ruby on Rails. And that was in 2018. So three years ago, four years ago, however long ago it was. What year are we in? Does it matter anymore? <laughs> I, who knows? So I, I, I kind of gave up after 2020. So, so, so I have a side question related to that. At what point in your computer science degree did they start covering test tests? driven development or the concept of having tests with your programs? I never heard the term test-driven development in my undergraduate bachelor of science <laughs> okay. degree in computer science. Bastards. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I can write Java. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the best part is that I didn't understand object-oriented programming, right? Because I had been taking Java and Visual Basic and Python and all this other stuff since high school. And I still didn't understand object-oriented programming until I understood what an adder reader was. And all of a sudden, I was like, I get getters and setters now. All of a sudden, it all rolled in. And I was like, I understand now why in Java you have to do all this stuff. And like, it just does it in Ruby. Why is anyone writing Java? You know, like, I, I know now why. But it, it was at the time, it, it, made me, it made me angry, it made me upset, it made me not go to the class really for the rest of the semester. <laughs> because I was like, you know, at my internship, I'm learning how to be a developer. And then I'm having to like leave my internship and come here. And you're trying to teach me how to use PHP 5. 
And so here's where I see like this large disconnect and where I should be focusing my time and energy. Right. And so I was like, how about I just stop writing PHP? And then I, my, I had a database course, a, a web applications course. Yeah. It was PHP five. Um, there's like, we learned how to write a little bit of SQL, like, and you know, our final project had to have a where statement and a select statement and a like thing and, you know, all these other things. So I gave my, um, I gave my teacher uh, a printout of the Rails development log. And I was like, here are my queries in my app. And I sent her the Rails app. And she's like, okay, well, I guess you're done. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> no PHP. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It, I never never did test driven, never wrote a single test in anything ever. No Java tests. I don't even know what people write Java tests in. No Python testing. No nothing. No tests. No Ruby no, no HTML really. Just a, like they kind of expected you to kind of know it, which was interesting. Um, yeah, it's just kind of a waste of time. I mean, I don't think it's so bad that you didn't learn a particular language or you learned some other language because I mean, right. that's understandable. But I'm still yeah, I had surprised. to learn COBOL. Well, Ugh. yeah, I, mean, I, read, I wrote Fortran 77. <laughs> so that's what I was doing. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, hopefully they can update the courses periodically, but at least something right. that's become so cent central to being a software engineer today in, in terms of writing tests that that's not covered. That as concept should be unfortunate. taught. Unfortunate. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I got lucky because I was able to get a really good course in project management from like a, a he, an old project manager, you know, retired, but just, you know, teaching at this point, like you, I could literally now rewind him back 20 years and see him like there, like in the moment, like doing this. So he came in one of the first days and he's like, all you guys sitting here. Cause at that point I was a senior. It's like my senior seminar class. And they're like, all you guys in here think you're just going to go to these companies and they're going to pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars to write code. And you're just going to sit by yourself alone and you don't have to work with any people. And I'm sitting in the audience like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what's, that's going to be my life. And I'm excited for it. And he's like, and I'm here to tell you that's wrong. And I was like, no, <laughs> no. And that's when I learned that programming is mostly communication. Right. So there are, there were aspects of, uh, you know, you know, my four-year education that weren't a total waste of time. And like, I feel like I learned so much. My minor is criminal justice. And I learned so much about that. So like, it wasn't a total waste of time, but when I think I look at my buddy who went to boot camp and then I look at me, like I would have done much better in a boot camp because I'm very ADHD, I'm very project oriented, I'm very um a bit obstinate, resistant to like, you know, someone's like, Yeah, just do this. And I'm like, but there doesn't seem to be any point to this, right? You're telling me to do this thing, but like, why do I have to do this thing? And they can't give me a good reason why. I'm like, all right, ADHD on, brain off. Now let's go do something else. So um, I feel like a boot camp would have been where I would have thrived a bit more, but is what it is. Yeah. Uh, Sumanu says maybe because DHH said TDD is dead. Speaking of opinions, uh, yeah, that's one of yeah. those opinions I don't agree with him on. I'm a. If you've and, watched and even thirty seconds of this show, you'll know how opinionated I am about TDD being the thing. So. Well, and you know the. TDD, you know, has some baggage associated with it. I'm just sure. talking in con in general, no matter where you do your tests, beforehand, afterhand, whatever it is, you need something. It's like, you know, double entry bookkeeping for bookkeeping for accounting, for programming, you need tests to kind of 
check your work essentially? Well, it also depends on how you define TDD because there was a big row going on years ago where people were saying TDD is bad, but that's because they were using that to mean test-driven design, which is horrible. It's test-driven development, which is good. But yeah, you don't want to design by test. So I think... Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to need a definition here. What's the difference? So test-driven design is I'm going to write a test and then I'll design my app to make my tests work as opposed to I'm going to design what I want, then write tests that describe that and then code to make the test pass. Ah, okay. So I I figured that's what it meant. I just wanted to clarify because that's, that's not, I've not heard that before. I like that a lot. Yeah. And it's, it, it, you know, there was, I think that's not as big a deal now, but several years ago when TDD was not first becoming a thing, because that's, you know, back in extreme programming and stuff, but um, the, they were, there was this big back and forth about it's horrible. It's great. It's horrible. It's great. But it was like two people talking about two different things but using the same acronym. And I'm like, yeah, one of them is horrible and one of them's great. So. Right. Yeah. I feel like when I hear about it, it sounds like, I feel like when people talk about like the idealized version of TDD, it sounds like design driven development in a way, right? Like you get a, a feature request and then you just start writing tests right before you go. And I can never do that. And that's why I thought TDD wasn't really for me. Right. Cause I was like, I can't do that. My, that's not the way my brain works. Right. I need to go gather information. I need to look at the code and I need to like, think about my plan and like, you know, maybe start writing some, you know, comments or like some, you know, you know, whatever code, some just word code for me. And then at that point, I think I was like, okay, at this point I could start writing tests, but I couldn't just like see a story and like oh well i'm obviously going to need all these classes and stuff so i better just spec out some tests right quick like i and that like i was like how could anyone do this and the idea just seems so complicated and frustrating that i feel like it turned me off the idea of tdd at all yeah and it's it's one of those things where if you don't if you don't know how to approach it it can be like one of the reasons i i dislike cucumber so much is because behavior driven development doesn't make any sense to me now, it makes sense to a lot of people, but it in in the real world, in a in a production environment, it just becomes a mess. And, you know, it's slow, it's hard to troubleshoot, it doesn't it doesn't def- give you any more information than RSpec does if you use RSpec correctly, but a lot of times when people were saying TDD, it's I'm going to sit down and write a bunch of tests and then figure out what I want my app to do that that's wrong it's figure right. out what you want and then start writing the words in english in the tests and then say okay what objects would i have to set up to do this now let's make it go right see wait you guys both use RSpec. oh yeah I do. the real questions there <laughs> well i i use RSpec. i prefer RSpec, but in my job i actually have we act our test suite is split between cucumber and RSpec. so i'm stuck in the cucumber world which is just, oh, I just want to pull my hair out, but. All right, I'm just, I like to check because there's, I I write mini tests and I don't want to. I don't like it. I'm not a fan. And then, you know, the purists out there, which I somehow mm-hmm. always get, I always end up working with, are like, it's just Ruby. You know, that's what mini tests, it's just Ruby. I'm like, I don't want to write Ruby. I'm trying to write some tests, right? Like, yeah. give me the buttons. I need the things. <laughs> I want the DSL. 
right right the dsl yeah. works it's good i like it it makes sense it's got all these things and stuff and mini tests it's so it feels like it's so hard to figure things out sometimes right and well, many the tests... only reason go ahead go ahead no no i saying the only reason i'm using rspect and the only reason i'm using ruby or ruby on rails is because of this guy right up here ah because when we started when i was going to start the company years ago he said should really do this in Ruby on Rails. And of course he chose RSpec at the time. So I corrupted uh, him. Wait, so y'all were together. I didn't pick that up yet. We did. Yep. Uh, you yeah, did. we, so we started, anymore. but then kind of I mean we're still doing gotcha. stuff together, but oh yeah, not right, quite a bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm married I to his it. sister, so you know, we see each other <laughs> once in a while. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. So you can never escape fully. That's gotcha. right. Yeah, family's a thing, you know. Um, I mean, I, before him, I was saying, hey, I should maybe think about doing this app in Cold Fusion, because that's what I oh. knew at the time. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> See, I I have only heard the term. I have no idea what Cold Fusion is. Yeah, you're not I've missing anything. It. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a little ancient. I'll just say that. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, it, yeah. It was like a that's cool automated HTML cool. thinger just made ah. god-awful html and i mean you, it's basically like what you know early php where everything was done in the views essentially equivalent right very imperative um interesting that's i i have some people like that i've worked with that like like i feel like we'll work again so that's cool that y'all have kind of like stuck together a bit um all right here's the other question hamler erb we got a slim uh, user. I I'm an ERB person because that's mm. that's where I learned, you know, because I came into Rails right right as Rails two was coming out. Okay. So ERB was the only thing, you know, right. and and it was the only thing for quite a while, and so I learned how to use it and I got good with it, and then this other stuff started coming out like Hamel and all that stuff, and I was like it ain't broke. Why fix it? You know, right. Why spend the time with the learning curve for something that's perfectly fine for me? Yeah. Right. Chat, chat is ERB too. So there you go. I, I use, I primarily use ERB. I like Hamel. <laughs> that's all I'll say. For I, I a while there was, I, there was a joke around that I was the Hamel guy. I actually don't really write that much Hamel comparatively. I do write a little bit more now, but I, I uh, like it. Yeah. Better. And I don't have a problem with Hamel. I, I actually, from a structural conceptual standpoint, it's a better thing. But right. I already had all the learning curve of ERB. I didn't want to, I was too lazy to spend the time to learn something else when ERB is working just fine, you know? Right. Sometimes that's the best way. Yeah. And once you have a project of the six, excuse me. A certain complexity it's like trying to switch over to a whole different templating language that's like holy macaroni i have tried that before and i learned some valuable lessons on those days about <laughs> yeah. why it was a bad idea and why it wasn't worth it <laughs> yeah it's yeah. you know it's one of those if it ain't broke don't fix it things if you start with hamel fine it's great i you know i think it's great yeah chat right. agrees why fix something that isn't broken for sure um, but yeah, it's, you know, there's learning curves involved and you got to weigh that with, do I have time to 
actually get my work done as much as I'd like to tinker around and learn every every railsism that there ever is I can't cuz I got to produce something you know so right. <clears throat> yeah but yeah I I you know I th- I think that's a lot of because I came in right at the beginning of rails 2 that's kind of where I am. And now I'm old and crotchety and, and set in my ways. So, you know, I ain't going to change now. <laughs> See, you are like my favorite type. That's like my favorite type of developer to work with. Like an older, cranky Rails developer who's just seen it all. <laughs> but like the, the thing is, is like they, they've seen so many things that like I've not seen. And so like I've always latched onto those types of developers because I'm like, yeah, teach me what a like. Why is this a bad thing? And they're like, oh well, I saw them do this in Rails three, and here's why it's bad, and all this other stuff. And like, I learned so much from like that kind of style of like, it is kind of mentorship in a way, but like you know, just explaining like and listening and like learning about like. I feel like the past of Rails like definitely can shine some light on the future, some decisions mm-hmm. that could go awry. So I always make sure to keep those types of developers close because they. They they've seen it and uh they've seen the the dangers that sometimes I start to t- tread towards. Yeah, and that's something I was I was learning because I like the same thing when I was a new programmer learning from more experienced programmers who could say, "Listen, don't don't learn Webpacker right now because let's see if it actually does something <laughs> just because it's the hot newness because that's that's a pattern that's been happening since computers were around." Oh, this week, this is the, the right. new hotness. And next week, it's, you know, gone and the old thing is back because it worked right. You know? Yeah. Yep. I I have... Here's my trick to that. I've gotten a lot better with that. Because I, I was one of those people. And then I, I experienced something that made me change my ways. And... Um, and that is, is that it wasn't me the one who was doing it. And suddenly, I got to see, like, oh, wait. Is this how I am? But I like to take all this really cool, fun stuff that I'd like, this would be great in our app. And I like to go on the weekends and play with it and then let all the little demons out there. So then yep. you come back to work and you're like, yeah, maybe not. You know, like what, if you use something like, I feel like you just have to try it a little bit. But I, what I have a problem with is a developer who has like read some blog posts over the weekend, maybe on Ruby Radar. And then they, they come <laughs> in on Monday and they're like, dude, found this thing it's going in here it is and then they just present you with this pr how they refactored half the code base to use this new gem or this new technique or whatever and i'm like dude do this on your own time right now you now you're impacting my time right company's time so that's my and, advice if you're one of those people go go play go play in a sandbox by your like it's by yourself for a little bit <laughs> right back. that's what i had to do and that's you know it's it's kind of like it's one of the reasons, like I think Creston mentioned earlier, he waits, you know, quite a while before he upgrades something. Well, that's from hard lessons learned because, you know, like you get version one of something and then right after that, there's a point one where they fix all the stuff that they dicked up in the first one and, and then you got to change it all again. So just wait for the point one to start with. And, yeah. you know, and especially if it goes to a major version, like when Ruby 3.0 hit, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not touching this thing for a good long time. Because, you know, it's going to take with the number of gems that are in the typical Rails project that is two, three, four, five years old, whatever it is, it's going to take a while for most of those to be compatible with Ruby 3.0 if they're doing anything unique. 
and some of them may not even support it. So you have to plan, okay, I'm going to wait a while to let it fall out who's going to update their gen that needs to, that'll still work. And then what's going to be left that is not working that, okay, I got to come up with an alternative solution for, you know, write something myself, find a new gen that does it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, that you made me think do you guys i guess i guess you guys have some ideas on the new type support that's in ruby 3.0 and 3.1 yeah yeah i'm not i'm not a big fan of tightly typed languages having spent a better part of a decade dealing with .net um if i see typed languages it kind of makes me a little nauseous now because .net was was just such a horrible experience um, and you know, there were a lot of bad times that had to do with the typing. And I was like, can't this thing just let me make an object and be done with it? Because I was also working in Ruby at the time and being able to compare the two. And I'm like, oh God, stop with the typing. It's, it's just not good. Now, right. There are, there have been a couple of times in my career where, especially in an API situation where, man, if I had had this strongly typed, I could have prevented this bad thing from happening. But that's so rare that it's just not worth all the other guff. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think for Ruby on Rails as a person framework? I'm not sure I entirely understand, I don't understand that question. question. Elaborate, please. As a one person framework? Maybe. Um, yeah, I'll have to, I need some clarification on that. Yeah, I, I, I always like to get people who have been around a long time's opinions on it because they're always interesting. Like, I'm not a fan, but out of curiosity, what, what's the reason they introduced typing? Like, what was the issue that caused them to do? I haven't done research into that as to why. You know, I'm sure there's many reasons why, but. I'm just going to give you the summary of what I think it was people bitching. Um, <laughs> I think that's, I think people just have been asking and complaining for it for so long. And then Stripe was like, well, we need it. So we're going to build our own. And then Matt's was like, okay, fine. Like we'll, we'll create a way for you to do it, but it's not going to be a first party thing. Like that you can add to your Ruby. Like we're not changing the syntax. Like we're introducing this RBS thing and it'll all be there. And that will allow, you know, people with Sorbet to tie into like our like Ruby like types with RBS instead. Um, as to why it was added, I mean, I don't know. Types, I don't know. I figure just like everyone wants types because, you know, people want typed Python, they want typed JavaScript. You know, Facebook made typed PHP, which is just one of the only one of their crimes, you know. So it, I feel like everyone just kind of, I feel like there's a, group of developers who want types and you know they kept clamoring for it and the only way is to either make make something like typescript for ruby or um introduce it or just maps just because maps has always been like no i don't want types right but this is kind of like a healthy it's like a healthy compromise almost healthy to the point where like it's not helpful but like you know still healthy yeah well at least it's not forcing people who know better into that <laughs> So, right, you right. know, Matt's is a smart boy. Yes, 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 yes. Um, oh, so what do you guys think for Ruby on Rails as a one-person framework? I, I mean, I, I've i used it as a one-person 
person for many, many years, and I like it. Uh, I think I think I know what they're referring to, and that's kind of DHH's whole like championing this idea of like Ruby on Rails being like the the solo entrepreneur bootstrappers tool framework of choice. Uh, they want Rails to be very friendly out of the box, able for like one person to build a Shopify or to build a GitHub. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess for that reason, like, what do I think about it? I think it's like, I think it's true that you can do that, right? It, the Rails has conventions that do create an opportunity for you as one person to succeed and thrive and build a company by yourself on Rails, right? But that's not the, Rails isn't the only component you need, but I feel like it does empower you to be able to do that and to be able to run like a company at scale with only two people, which is what I've done before. So uh, I feel like it's true. I agree with it. Um, uh, the, I, the concept or like the buzzword one person framework, I think you should go back to the drawing board, but the concept of it, I, I agree with this, that you can thrive um, with a small development team because of some of the conventions that Rails provides. Right. It's really easy. I mean, you, there's .NET frameworks that you can be a one-person development team, but the, the difference is that the thing that I really like and appreciate about Rails is getting a new project started is really easy. Getting all your, your setup and your, your infrastructure put together is is a nice, easy thing because of the convention over configuration stuff. Whereas doing that with Java or .NET, you have to spend some time just getting the, the groundwork laid. So from that regard, it's a lot yeah. nicer to get things going faster. Yeah, Node, I think, comes to mind as well. Of like, you know, I do know people who are running like solo companies with Node, right? It's totally doable. But like, whenever I go to like some sort of React app or whatever, and like, you have to like, torture me to get me to, to, to into one but like if i'm in there yeah, i see lots of configuration you know you've got prettier and just and typescript and eslint and commitlint and husky and you know this and that and this and that and this and that and it feels like setting up the project takes like several days i mean and just adding your freaking linners you know like it's it's incredible to me there's yeah. so much configuration that it feels like and it maintaining it is i feel like where that's where it becomes a burden right it's mm-hmm. not necessarily that creating it is so hard but like keeping it maintained with all these different dependencies and you've got you know your dependency folder is the thousands of files big and you know you have no idea what's in there and there could be bitcoin miners and like you have no idea right so there's just like I don't know. I like that, you know, Rails provides a way for you to do it like with just the built-in tools. Right. Right. You don't have to pull in everything for everything. Well, and, and yeah, and to kind of give some context to that, I at at my job, the, the last 10 years I was working as a professional developer before this job, I was actually working in both .NET and Rails. There were projects on both sides. Um and I actually had to have a team of .NET developers for one project, for one app. I was the only Rails developer on three different apps. And I spent much less time in Rails than I did in the .NET stuff, and the Rails did way more, the Rails apps. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a nicer environment from, from my point of view, having, having worked with several other, you know, Java and .NET and 
old old you know dinosaur bones scratching in the dirt stuff so yeah should we build our authentication from scratch <laughs> oh i like uh, here's I like a flame war Raphael said about this a lot better than what dhh said so chris and jason chris oliver jason char and so i do remember ruby with they have this thing with laravel right and you know in my heart i truly don't believe they've ever written a line of laravel Okay, I don't know if that's true or not, but I have that that deep seated feeling that they they just they just look at Laravel. And they're like, oh, it's got all these cool things, and they like to talk about like how it would be really cool if Rails had some of those things. One of those is built in authentication. So whenever someone from the Rails core team comes on our podcast, they ask them to add authentication into Rails, right? And so everyone they all say no, right? But Raphael had the best answer, and his answer was like. So we were talking about devise and like, you know, devise is like the de facto solution. Uh, but like some apps couldn't upgrade to Rails 7 yet because they're waiting on devise release and like this and that. And his whole thing was like devise feel like it's devise feels like it's almost too much, which I like agree with to an extent. And he's like, um, what I feel like would be better is instead of instead of building action authentication or whatever it is, we build a generator that will just scaffold out a simple basic authentication system for you, the controllers, the views, whatever, the models, and that be it. It just scaffolds out a basic authentication system. So from there, and it doesn't throw it all into engines or everything, so you can't touch it. It like just scaffolds out something simple for you. And DHH was, when we asked that question to DHH, he was like, I feel like I should make a video and to show you how you can create an authentication system in Rails. And Raphael was in the chat because we live streamed that. And he's like, I think my idea is better. <laughs> um, and I agree. If, like, if there was just like a simple way to like scaffold out a basic Rails authentication system, I feel like that would be really cool. Should you be building your authentication from scratch? Um, DHH claims it's not that hard. I would uh... rather not, you know, personally. That was one of his little opinions. I was like, uh... like, yes. It's doable, right? And you should be able to, you can probably do it, but like there's so many areas, right? And there's so many laws now and there's so much like, I just don't want to do it, right? I'm scared. Yeah. And well, DJ's whole point was like, don't be scared. And Raphael's like, what if we just gave you the starting point? I think that's the better approach. I mean, the thing about it is, is that it's not hard to do if you know what you're doing because, because right. a lot of the, Rails provides a lot of the tools like has secure password for your models or has secure token. And a lot of these things are already built in. You just put those pieces together. So it's not like you're writing any encryption code. You're having to do a lot of stuff. It's just, I'm kind of liking the idea of either some form of education or a generator, something to say, hey, these pieces already exist in Rails and here's how you can put them together to create a basic one. Right. And, and then you can build upon right. that from there. You know, I had kind of a, a conversation with Kristen about this a few months ago, which was, I think it's great to go on, on the weekends on your, your little for funsies project and build yourself an authentication from scratch so you can learn and, and figure out how they work. In a production environment, God, no. There, why? It's, it's been done. Now, devise, way too heavy for me. I tried to put devise in a project, oh, 
it was years ago, but I actually spent more time trying to customize devise to what I needed than just writing my own thing. There is one called Sorcery, though, which I really like because it's a very lightweight kind of framework for authentication that you build up. So it is kind of that starting point as a gem that you can just put in. But building your own from the ground up, other than a, a learning experience on the side, I would never do that in production. It's It's been done by, you know. Yeah, I would want like several experienced engineers to be on that. And if it's just you with your little bootstrap side project, I would recommend saving yourself a lot of heartache down the road and not do that. Right? Yeah. Because it's all fun and games until I, the customer, get an email in my inbox that says our data has been breached. And then I figure out what I'm going to do with you, you know? Yeah. Like, that's not fun. No one wants to do that. So unless you, and I feel like if you think you can do it right now by yourself, then you're the person who really shouldn't do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because yeah, once you've been in, in Rails long enough, you, you figure out there's a gem for that. The gem's been around. It's it's mature. It's not going anywhere, and it's open source. So even if the the people who are maintaining it right now get run over by a bus, somebody else can pick it up. It's not it's not going to go away. Why would I do yeah. that? And I would say, if you are going to roll your own, then you should you should be a responsible engineer and have people come in to penetrate penetration test it. Mm -hmm. Right? You should hire someone to test that because it shouldn't be you. And you really don't want to leave this up to chance. And for the so, love of all that's holy, do TDD. Yeah, yes, <laughs> you got to do TDD. I mean, if you never do TDD in your life, if you're writing authentication, you do it there. Yeah. Because that can't break. Yeah, and I'm, sh I'm sure there's like algorithms out there that you could, you know, and like the OWASP cheat sheets and stuff that you could use to like, you know, find and plug the holes. But I guess when we're saying this, a lot of this is under the assumption that the developer is going to do this. And I just don't have that assumption of most developers, right? Because I know myself and I'm pretty lazy. And that's one of those things that you can't be lazy about, right? So I would just not do it. Yeah. It, much better things to spend your time on learning than something yeah. that's been done to death already, honestly. Yeah. I, I do think it's important to understand how authentication works, you know. Absolutely. But de designing your own from scratch, I, I don't see a need for it anymore. Yeah. All right. Oh, wow. We are we are way over time. I'm having so much fun talking. I just didn't even pay attention to what time it was. <laughs> so, yeah, good chat, man. I, I really appreciate yeah. you being on the show. Uh, that was fun. That was a nice. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and I will I will say if you guys are looking for another guest, I gotta get you guys gotta contact my friend Brittany Martin. She is the best. So there's my plug for the next guest if y'all when y'all start looking again. Absolutely. And you know, we hope 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 we can get you back too at some point because uh, um, anytime. It's really good for the old fogies to to talk to some of the young bloods and get the new perspectives, <laughs> you know. Uh Yes. That's... Yes. There are benefits to being a child like me. Yeah. 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 Uh, so guys, make sure um, that you check out remote rails and Ruby radar. All the links are in the doobly-doo below. If you're on YouTube, um, if you're watching us on Twitch, then go look at the video on YouTube so you can get to the links, <laughs> but um, join us every Wednesday night at 8 PM Eastern for more dev talk. Uh, next week, we are going to be talking about rail seven, how to JavaScript.
talk about all the new fangled funness in Rails 7. Uh, and is it better than Webpacker? Is it worse? Is it is it is it even a thing? Just another, just another knife. Yeah, right. Just another hammer. Uh, so you can listen to us as a podcast on all the places where podcasts live. Also visit our site at rubberduckdevshow.com. Follow us on Twitter at DuckyDevShow. We hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did, please make sure and follow, like, subscribe, comment, depending on Twitch or YouTube. You know, you know how it goes. Just mash all the buttons and ding all the bells. And until next time, happy programming. Bye. Happy programming.